1: Good morning. It is Friday, November 6th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Big week across the college football landscape right now because the Pac-12 is finally back in action on Saturday. Uh, unfortunately, one of those games has already been canceled, Washington at Cal, but it's still a really good slate in the Pac-12, which is two weeks after the Big Ten and then, of course, two months after the Big 12 and the ACC, and then I can't do the math on the SEC, but a month and a half. So uh, Saturday in the Pac-12, got a few ones I I absolutely will be watching. Arizona State at number 20 USC, 11 a.m. on Fox Central Time. If you do your time zone conversion, that's a 9 a.m. kickoff on the West Coast. So 9 a.m., what will that look like? We know there won't be any fans in the stands, so that's not a concern, but – Are the players sleepy? What time do they have to wake up to play a 9 a.m. football game? What do they eat? Um, Arizona at Utah at – we'll do time zone conversions in real time. Arizona at Utah is at 12.30 Pacific on ESPN2. UCLA at Colorado is at 4 o'clock Pacific on ESPN2. The ABC game of the night, 4.30 Pacific time, 6.30 Central, is Stanford at number 12 Oregon. And then your Pac-12 after dark – the late, the late game, Washington State at Oregon State. Again, Washington at Cal was canceled because of Cal COVID issues. They were unable to field a full 53-man uh, roster with all the position stipulations because of a COVID outbreak and contact tracing, mostly contact tracing among their program. If you want to be mad at anyone for that, it's that the Pac-12, sort of like the Big Ten, gave itself zero flexibility to pull off this sixth game plus one schedule. In addition, the Pac-12 had that daily testing announcement, had had everything set up, and then just dragged its feet and dragged its feet and it really took a long time to announce this November 7th kickoff. So we'll see. The Big Ten has been stung by Wisconsin's COVID issues, could threaten to keep the Badgers out of the Big Ten title game, could really threaten, in general, Wisconsin's season if if they can't get going against Michigan in a week from Saturday. They already had Wisconsin versus Purdue canceled. So if that happens in the Pac-12, you're going to be looking at teams playing two games, maybe three. We hope it doesn't. So today on the College Football Daily, kind of an off day for me. We're going to throw it to two of our great podcasts in the Pac-12, uh, the and Audibles podcast, which covers Oregon, and the Peristyle podcast, which covers USC Interesting about both of the clips we're going to play for you is it's it's from the Oregon and then the USC it's from them it's from the perspective of them getting info on their upcoming matchups against Stanford for Oregon and Arizona State for USC. I think that's fitting because we know plenty of you about USC. We know plenty about Oregon, but we don't really know that much about Stanford. We don't really know that much about Arizona State all things considered. So I think it's going to be an interesting listen for everybody. The, the clips are about five minutes each. And hopefully once you're done listening to them, you feel a little bit more well-informed about the Pac-12 action this week. And so we're going to start with the Parasile podcast, which is hosted by Ryan Abraham. And he is bringing on this week Chris Cartman of SunDevilSource.com, uh, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Th- and Ryan's going to tee Chris up asking about all of the changes at Arizona State this offseason You know the quarterback, Jaden Daniels. He's excellent. He's going to be a 2022 first-round draft pick, potentially. But new coordinators on both sides of the ball. Zach Hill, offensive coordinator formerly at Boise State. He replaces Rob Likens. And then defensive coordinator, it's – get this. It's Marvin Wilson, the former Cincinnati Bengals head coach, and Antonio Pierce, the former New York Giants linebacker. They are the co-DCs. They've had quite the route um, because – Last year, Arizona State's defensive coordinator was Danny Gonzalez, and now he's the head coach at New Mexico. So then they named Tony White their defensive coordinator. Well, six weeks after they named him the DC, he took the same job at Syracuse. And so Herm Edwards was like, "Oh, okay." Um, Marvin Wilson, you're an analyst on my staff, and Antonio Pierce, you're doing a great job on the recruiting trail. You guys are the new co-DC. So there's a lot of a lot of change in Tempe. Let's see though if if Arizona State, which is a 10 and a half point underdog, I think they're gonna outperform that line. So let, let's see what Chris Cartman tells Ryan Abraham about the Sun Devils.
0: It is nice to be able to to do this, but I feel like, you know, you're you're you woke up from like a nap and you're it's in the middle of your exam. You're like, wait, wait what what happened to the beginning part of the exam? <laughs> like we're we're like in the middle of the season and it's starting on Saturday and it's a we were talking about offline, like a huge Pac-12 South matchup to start. The season, like, it just seems like we're going to know, you know, it's one sixth of the scheduled season and we're going to know like 80% of it after this game is over.
2: And you know what, Ryan, fortunately, neither you nor I really need to be at 100% alertness uh, (laughs) for this, you know, like we'll do our job and, you know, maybe people will notice if we're not exactly on our A game, but definitely the players are going to have way more of a spotlight on them to come out of the gate playing at a high level. And that's a that's a big task, right? For for these teams, given kind of what the offseason's been like and how long it's been without them playing. USC has a new defense. ASU's got new schemes on both sides. So there's like tons of subplots and all kinds of stuff happening. And yeah, I'm just interested to see how it's going to go.
0: I am too. And uh, you know, there's if you want to look at the you know two of the top, if not the top returning quarterbacks, in the comments, I do love myself some some uh, Chase Garbers up there Cal. But, you know, Jane Daniels and uh, Keaton Slovis, the true freshman, and Keaton being from uh, the state of Arizona, that's interesting. And, uh, of course, the first ever, you know, Fox big noon kickoff game at 9 a.m. local time, which you can do a little bit easier during the pandemic because you can't have any fans in the stands. There's just so many intriguing aspects to this. And the one of the ones, the first one I want to talk to you about is the local health restrictions in California were much more stringent than what there was in Arizona. And I think when we talked, man, a month or so ago, the, the fact that Arizona State was able to take advantage of that 20-hour rule months before uh, a program like USC could and sort of uh, maybe you know, offset the fact that there's a new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, having all that extra practice time over the summer— Um, I mean, I, I've brought this up before. Some USC people told me like, eh, I just don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it because to me, this is the most interesting, one of the most interesting aspects of the game. If USC was playing Arizona state in game five, it would be a more even thing. But in this, in my mind, in this one, that's going to give ASU a real like advantage as far as like, Oh, you know, um, You know, things on the back of the net, like things that you might just little notes that you would have, uh, you know, X factor kind of things to me, Arizona State being able to practice all summer is a pretty big X factor.
2: Yeah, it's there's a physical component to it, of course, because you're out there in groups and on the field and, you know. All that, But then I think the mental part is much more. And just in general, I think the mental part of the game is the most sort of underappreciated and, and underacknowledged in terms of, like, you know, how much of a difference that it is when everybody's, like, operating on the same page and making quick decisions that are the right decisions. And when you don't have, you know, the difference in a game sometimes is literally one or two coverage busts. Uh, Things of that nature where one team was prepared and the other team wasn't as prepared. And so ASU, dramatically more than any other season, was spending dozens of hours on the field with coaches getting instruction about their own schemes. And then later on in that process, uh, going over things that USC is, is tends to do especially usc's offense so um you know i i did the math on it they have the ability to do like over a hundred more hours than would typically be the case in an off season of this type of skill instruction and uh coaching so to me, that that is an advantage for ASU because they did a lot more of it. They didn't have the cohorting restrictions. They didn't have any of these on-field, you know, how many people you could have out there uh, limitations um, you know there, we've seen there are lots of injuries across college football in the NFL early on in the season I think that's partly because guys weren't as physically ready as they normally would be in terms of like the the process of getting all of your ligaments and, and everything kind of you know ready for the what football really is the violence of it and just how um you know just the energy that that players uh, put on their body but uh, but no, the mental part, I think, is uh, is big. And I think just in a general sense, ASU would be less prepared with new schemes in most years than they will be in this particular game this season. And i do not saying that that's going to be the difference in the game itself. I'm not sure. But I, I do think that it matters. And then you have the whole um, USC not having as much You know, ability to project what ASU is going to be on offense and defense because you have to go back to watch the Boise State film and Zach Hill for the offense. You have to go back and watch maybe what Marvin Lewis did in Cincinnati in the NFL on defense. I think that also, that sort of element of it is a little bit of an advantage, even though, of course, ASU has the same challenges in preparing for USC's defense.
0: And I think um, the spring practice aspect too, I wanna see the data after this is all over. I believe Coastal Carolina was one of only two teams, I think, that had all of their spring practices. You never even heard of them. And now they're like number 15 in the country, they had all their spring practices. Like, ah, oh, maybe that helped. I think you got about half of them in, right? Like seven of them before they took a break and then everything had to stop. Yeah. So was, you know, that, that helps too, getting some spring practices in. Yeah, they did all their installs
2: and then they were already circling back to go over it again. Uh, and then they, the whole, you know, quarantining and whatever, they weren't kind of together as a program in April and May. But then by June, they had basically reincorporated all of their players by the end of June. And they went July, August, September, basically working out to this 20 hour a week rule on the field in big groups with instruction. So to me, that's almost like, Every one of those is like another spring practice. They got like, however many that is, you know, like seventy or eighty spring practices. Like that's wow. that's that's what I'm saying. Like that's a huge amount of time that they had, and you know, it was like smaller doses, like an hour at a time or whatever, hour and a half at the most. But that's a lot. Like they usually, you know how it is, there's no ability for coaches to actually work with their players from the conclusion of spring football in March or April, all the way until you start in, in August. All that stuff is player led practices and strength and conditioning doing stuff, but there's no coaching. And so when you are literally spending three months with coaches in the off season, you should be a lot further along when you're incorporating new schemes. Yeah.
1: All right, thanks to those two. Again, if you're interested in listening to the full episode, it's about an hour long, a pair podcast on Apple Podcasts, and it's, of course, the preview episode, USC Trojans versus Arizona State. All right, the College Football Daily will be right back. Let's travel up north, Ottson, Stanford at Oregon, ABC Game of the Week, Herbie and Fowler on the West Coast for the first time all year. Oregon is the pick. By just about everyone to win the Pac-12, they got to replace Justin Herbert, who I think we might have taken for granted given what he's doing in the NFL. If you got to replace left tackle Panay Sewell, he opted out. But there's so much talent on this team. Mario Cristobal has the Ducks recruiting like an SEC team. Defensively, it's going to be a blast. Kayvon Thibodeau, probably the best pass rusher in the country, sophomore, former five-star They've got a a lot of fun freshmen, Dante Manning in the secondary, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo at linebacker. If those guys get enough playing time to to break out Saturday against Stanford, it's going to be fun. For Stanford, the thing to watch at quarterback, Davis Mills, it's finally his time. Was injured, sat behind KJ Costello for a while. The thing people forget or just flat out never knew about Davis Mills is that in the 2017 recruiting rankings, he was the number one quarterback. Davis Mills was. That's ahead of Tua Vailoa. So it's going to be pretty fun to see if Davis Mills can live up to the five-star hype uh, for Stanford, which had a disappointing season in 2019. David Shaw certainly wants to turn that around. They had some opt-outs. They had a lot of additions into the transfer portal this offseason. And among those opt-outs, Paulson Adebo, a cornerback, and Walker Little, Offensive tackle. So, as Matt Prim on our Odds and Audibles podcast tees up Stanford, so let's listen to more about all of that about Stanford and its tumultuous offseason, which probably is not as bad as the headlines made it out to be. As Matt Prim and Eric Scopel on the Odds and Audibles po- podcast bring in Stanford reporter R.J. Abadia from the Twenty Four Seven Sports Network, can you get us up to speed on just the departures or the opt-outs? from this off season and maybe the impact that brings to the Stanford program?
3: So I would say, and I've, you know, I've in the, you know, in the radio hits and the, the, you know, the time that I've actually talked to other people about this over the summer, I would say perhaps the most consistently overblown or mischaracterized storyline for Stanford football is the quantity of guys who okay. went into the transfer portal and left. Um, I think when it comes to quality, there's some specific guys who left. I would start with Mike Williams and Joe von Swan who were both slated to at a minimum be on the two deep on defensive line, which is a position of huge concern and huge question mark for Stanford heading into this season. Those are basically two starters. And so for those guys to have moved on was significant. Um, As far as the bulk of the players who left, um, I think it's pretty hard looking at Stanford's already outdated two deep, but I think it's hard to say that any of those guys were going to be a serious threat or many of those guys there were, there might've been one or two, but it's hard to say that most of those guys would have been any kind of threat to show up on a two deep this year. So I don't think the quantity has been as big a deal. Now, losing two potential defensive line starters, losing unquestionably your best cornerback and unquestionably your best offensive lineman in Walker Little, those are not things that you can just casually dismiss, especially for a program where we saw what happened last year when they didn't have their best players available. RJ, that kind of segues into what I was going to ask about. And I think, 2019 was the first year under David Shaw where there's not a winning record. They win four games.
1: I remember when Oregon played Stanford, it felt like there were, I don't know, like half a dozen, maybe more guys that were out of the lineup. And I know that was kind of the case throughout the season. KJ Costello was in and out of the lineup. They were changing quarterbacks a couple times. Was there a sense that like 2019 is kind of a misnomer and an outlier? Um, and that this year, maybe they're kind of being, I don't want to say slept on, but maybe not respected in the manner they should be. And then uh, just a, how healthy is Stanford right now?
3: Well, I, I'll, I'll start backwards, I guess. Um, health-wise, it's suddenly not great, but it's <laughs> double negative time. It's it's not, not great at places that are going to be as catastrophic as last year. Um, right. As far as we know, Stanford's got the offensive line that it expected to have minus Walker Little. So that's going to be... Um, Walter Rouse, who basically started the majority of the season last year when Walker Little was lost in game one. Um, Barrett Miller, another sophomore at left guard. Drew Dahlman, a senior who I think a lot of people expect to push for kind of all-conference level play. Um, Right guard Branson Bragg, who was the first young guy up last year and actually – himself ended up getting hurt in the first game he played. Otherwise, I think he'd be more of a household name right now. He's definitely an all-conference talent-level guy. And then you have Foster Sorrell, who came to Stanford as a five-star player and himself has had to deal with injuries. So on the offensive line, they're about as good as they can hope to be. And one of the silver linings that they've been pushing, but their validity to it is – those young guys that I just named all got thrown into the mix last year. And you guys, if you just watched the Stanford, Oregon game only, you guys saw what that looked like um, to take nothing away from the Oregon defense. But um, those guys collectively have put on about a hundred pounds of weight. Um, And so I think despite the fact that they're sophomores, they've got more experience than you usually expect out of a Stanford sophomore. And they've also now physically acclimated to the game. So it wouldn't surprise me. And I think you're going to hear that phrase a lot as we talk. It wouldn't surprise me to see that group be a strength of the team or certainly take a big step forward this year. Um, we found out on Tuesday that the next man up in terms of the top cornerback on the team, Caillou Kelly, another sophomore, um is also gone for this week against Oregon and kind of on a week-to-week status. So Stanford has lost its two best cornerbacks coming into this game, and there's no way to sugarcoat that. I mean, that's not a great scenario for any team, um, let alone a team like Stanford who was going to be putting inexperienced guys out there to begin with. Um, So that's an issue. They've also lost depth at inside linebacker. Tristan Sinclair and Jacob Mangum-Farrar were guys who I think – conservatively expected to show up on the two deep, if not for game one, then by the end of the season, they're both gone for the year. So Stanford's got Curtis Robinson and Ricky Miazon, guys who they feel really good about, but guys who don't have a track record at this point in terms of really strong play at inside linebacker. And then um, on the outside linebacker spot, Gabe Reed was a guy slated to start. And he will not be available for this game on Saturday is our understanding. So you've got some young guys on the outside there. And then um, safety, you've got Malik Antoine starting and returning. And you have Kendall Williamson stepping into the strong safety role. But I don't think it's a big secret at this point. If there's a position group keeping Stanford fans up at night, it's the safety spot. And that, that group's just got to get better. There's no way to there's no way to sugarcoat it. So, that's basically the lay of the land as far as Stanford goes. The good news for Stanford, I guess, is on the offensive side of the ball, the guys that they have to have to succeed should be ready to go.
1: All right, good stuff. And if you want to listen to the full episode for that, it's the Odds and Audibles Duck Territory podcast on Apple Podcasts. Episode previewing Oregon versus Stanford, about 30 minutes long. Give it a listen if you're trying to get. A little more intel on Stanford versus Oregon. I think those are clearly the two biggest games out west. A lot of big games across the college football landscape this weekend. Georgia versus Florida as a playoff eliminator game in Jacksonville. Notre Dame versus Clemson Saturday night. Wow. Uh, probably the first of what could be two really great games between those two ACC teams, at least Notre Dame, this year. And it's now or never for the Fighting Irish, right? I had Tim O'Malley on the podcast yesterday. Covers Notre Dame for 24-7 sports. It's if Notre Dame can't beat Clemson with all these defensive injuries and a true freshman quarterback, then when is it going to happen for Brian Kelly in a big game? So stay tuned to all of that. Should be a great weekend across college football. Can't wait to talk about it with you all on Monday on the next edition of the College Football Daily.